Romans and Philippians, and you'll find them if you flick over to page 7 and 8 of your zines. From Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And the next reading comes from Philippians chapter 1. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have heard you in my heart, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the, pra- to the glory and praise of God. Amen. What a great passage of scripture for us to meditate upon this afternoon as we come together for church. As M has already alluded to this afternoon, um, today marks the opening week of our series called Messy Faith. And uh, we're exploring the interplay uh, of mental health and the grace of God. Now, I've chosen to call the series Messy Faith. Uh, because I think it is a true description of the Christian journey. Perhaps it's not the faith itself that's messy, but perhaps the outworking of it in our everyday lives. I'm not sure about your particular story, uh, but I think real faith is messy because our lives are complex. Uh, Real faith is messy because... It involves the whole person, warts and all. Real faith is messy because change can be hard. But I wondered this week, what's the alternative to a messy faith? And I thought, well, I guess it's a clean faith. Uh, A clean faith that has all the answers. A clean faith that kind of glosses over the ugly bits. Uh, A clean faith that presents all of life always good, all of the time. And I wonder whether this framework of clean versus messy can even shape the way we read our Bibles. A clean view of the Bible presents all the men and women within it as heroes of the faith because they fought temptation and always won, because they could make the right choices Uh, Because they could stand alongside Jesus and say, we are just like him. Perhaps a messy view of the Bible presents the men and women within its pages 
as ragamuffins who need help uh, because they wrestled with temptation and sometimes gave in, because they wanted to make the right choices but sometimes failed, because in the end they had to put all their trust in Jesus because they knew they were nothing like him and really needed his good help. The truth is, the Bible is full of messy people, and we clean them up to our own loss. I think a clean faith is one that perhaps trusts in self. Uh, A messy faith trusts in Jesus and what he has done for us. A clean faith may not have much space for depression or trauma or addiction, because it's all just too messy. But the message that the Bible consistently brings is that God is present uh, even in our mess. The next five weeks, we are exploring some of this mess. Uh, What does it look like to wrestle with these issues? And what may it look like to love each other, especially when we find ourselves in the darkness or those we know and love. And I want to mark up front that our exploration of these things will not be exhaustive. Um, We could easily spend a whole month on each topic, but indeed it's really good and healthy for us to be open and explore them as much as we can in the time we have. And certainly it's worth saying that if anything uh, you hear over these next five weeks really um, triggers something for you that you need to talk about and you need to express further, then I really do encourage you uh, to come speak to me or um, to to speak to your community group leader or to just make it known that you'd like to explore something further. My mantra in these five weeks uh, will come from the Apostle Paul. In the opening letter to his, uh, in the opening to his letter to the Philippians, he writes these words. He says, I'm sure of this that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm sure of this, that he who has started a good work in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So today we're going to start our journey with a very basic exploration of mental health and the grace of God And uh, I thought it'd be good as we begin this little journey that I pray that God will just lead us in these next five weeks and even this afternoon that he might speak a word into your life that uh, is encouraging for you this day. So let me pray and ask God um, to be amongst us. Uh, Dear Lord and Father, we do um, thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you're a God who has made yourself known, that you are a God of comfort that you're a God who is on our side. And we pray as we reflect upon your word, and especially some of the more difficult aspects of life in this world, uh, that your grace will be with us, your spirit will be amongst us, and that we may be encouraged um, by by you and each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So I thought it would be worth, at the very start... Um, looking at what is mental health 
uh, and mental illness. While there are some in our church family who are far more qualified than myself in this area, which I just want to mark up front, um, I take my sort of current definitions and experience of what we're talking about um, from a master's that I'm currently undertaking in pastoral counselling at Charles Sturt, and uh, also many of the following definitions come from papers put forward by the Australian government in its public health framework, which is very good, and also by a text I've been reading a lot of by Hungerford called Mental Health Care, an Introduction for Professionals in Australia. So now I know for many of us, the concept of mental health seems a little vague, um, but a helpful definition I've found puts it this way, mental health refers to the capacity of individuals and groups to interact with one another and their environment in ways that promote subjective well-being, optimal personal development, and use of their abilities to achieve individual and collective goals. It's interesting to note that mental health here is defined in terms of relationships and the capacity we have to interact with others and our world. When this is disrupted, we have what we call mental health problems, or a little more advanced, you could call mental illness. Mental illness is one term commonly used in healthcare to describe uh, the spectrum of cognitive, emotional, and behavioral conditions that interfere with social and emotional well-being and the lives and productivity of people. This picks up on three key aspects of mental health. Uh, cognitive, what's going on in my thinking. Emotional, what's going on in my emotional state. And behavioural, what's going on in my daily actions. Um, or as Christian communities have used the phrase for ages, our heads, our hearts, our hands. Now, it's important to, important to note that part of being human is to experience a range of thoughts, emotions, and behaviours. Uh, being deeply sad, or thinking something negative, or making what you deem to be a behavioural mistake does not fall under the category of mental illness as such. These things are just part of being human in all its powerful complexity. However, it's when these things interfere with social and emotional well-being and the lives and the productivity of people that it can move into the category of what some would deem a mental health problem. So to be anxious about an upcoming presentation or conversation is not abnormal. Rather, it is a normal reaction to an external stressor. But to be anxious on a more consistent basis to the point of it hindering your daily experience of life and your interaction with others is when it moves into the category of perhaps a mental health problem or illness. And I think that's really helpful to note as we start exploring these things. We're not talking about simply feeling sad or a little stressed for a day. Rather, a mental health problem or illness involves a continued pattern of negative cognitive, emotional, or behavioral issues, which interfere with our relating to ourselves, to others, and the world around us. 
Now, some of us have experienced this, and we have our own stories to tell. Uh, Others of us haven't, but we probably know someone who has wrestled with a range of issues that they've found difficult. I find it really interesting that our secular framing of mental health presupposes that there are healthy and unhealthy ways of relating to ourselves, to others, and the world around us. This in itself is intriguing because it hints at a more global shape or design that either facilitates or hinders human flourishing. As I've already stated, this shape is defined in terms of relationships and the capacity we have to interact with others, ourselves, and the world. One of the many things that draws me to Christian faith is that I'm actually yet to find a more comprehensive anthropology than what the Bible presents. When Jesus says that all the law and the prophets can be summed up in the command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbour as yourself, he was revealing something deeply weaved into the human condition a need to connect in order to find wellness. Now, the Bible doesn't identify it as wellness. That's a relatively recent kind of buzzword. But it uses, rather, it uses the term uh, shalom or peace, a common reference in the Scriptures. And what was true of humanity in 30 AD is most certainly still true of humanity today, 2018. Moving back to the more recent terms of mental health, mental illness, we recognise that there are many things that can negatively impact our cognitive, emotional, behavioural conditions. And surely part of growing up, both as adults and also as Christians, is to deepen a self-awareness so that we can at least be open to growth and to change. Uh, One example is that research has shown we learn to relate to ourselves, others, and the world around us through our parents and our family systems. We might find ourselves constantly worried about everything in our daily life. And we may never take the time to realise that this is actually a natural fruit of being raised, perhaps by a, a highly anxious mother, or a father who has left us when we were young. And and so there is value in exploring that in order to deal with our worried stance towards the world. Uh, We might find ourselves with a deep-seated anger that really does affect our relating to others, ourselves, and the world, and never take the time to realise that this emotion is, in fact, a surface emotion that is covering over a deep sadness we hold at the loss of something dear to us. We are grieving, but in an unhealthy way. And so there's value exploring this if we want to find ways of leaving our anger behind. We may find ourselves drawn to the abuse of a substance that is impacting our relating to ourselves, others, and the world around us. Uh, This is certainly, as as you guys know, this is certainly part of my story. 
uh, finding myself in a, a kind of a self-destructive spiral. Uh, and it's taken several years to piece it all together, um, to continue to come to understand myself. But my story involved two main factors. One is that in my late teens, early 20s, I had an incredibly optimistic view of life, as many of us do. I was fully open to the world with big dreams and an open heart. And over the course of several years, I was deeply hurt in, a, in multiple ways. And I responded by shutting down my emotional engagement with life. I learned it was just too painful. At the same time, I, and linked to this, I'd started to have sort of a spiritual crisis and I sought to reject God by doing a range of things that I knew his word warned against. And this actually left me with a deep sense of shame. And so by my late 20s, I was kind of emotionally dead and deeply ashamed. And I was struggling with a whole range of things. The psychologist who I was seeing said, Craig, to feel is to be human. You've decided to stop emotionally engaging with the world, but your very created selfhood will find a way to feel. And for me, that's certainly what drinking gave me. Uh, it wasn't numbing my pain, which can often be the case with substance abuse. Uh, rather, for me, I was actually seeking to feel something because I had so disconnected myself from life. On top of that, I was also seeking to punish myself for things I had done, and so I held this kind of uneasy peace with self-destructive behavior. And processing all of this uh, was a starting point for me moving forward. But this took years, it's taken years, openness, support, honesty with other people. We are indeed all beautifully complex and messy creatures. Now, at this point, you might say, well, this is all very interesting, Craig, but you haven't mentioned a single Bible passage yet, and you haven't spoken about Jesus' death and resurrection, and you haven't mentioned anything specifically Christian. Uh, so as Christians, how are we to make sense of all this? And indeed, this is exactly what our next month of church will be about. And so I encourage you to keep coming along. We sort of just as we slowly move forward in this topic. But to start us off, let me say you'll find a whole range of differing views about the interaction between mental health and Christian faith. Especially if you Google it, you just need to know it's a minefield out there. Uh, on one end of the scale, there is the belief that all we need is the Word of God and Christian community to heal us. Uh, there is a skepticism that any secular research into mental health and therapy that may arise is unchristian. Uh, and this view was initiated by, especially by J.E. Adams with his new theoretic counseling movement in the 1970s. You have other views that believe uh, the victorious life that comes through Jesus will set you free from all mental health issues. And if you just have the faith to believe and to pray out the evil power, you will be healed. You've still got other views that hold personal Christian faith and mental illness in different, completely separate categories. And so just like I go to a doctor to get my broken arm put in a cast without any spiritual impact, uh, I go to a psychologist for my anxiety without any interaction with my spiritual journey. 
Now, there's many different views. I could go on with five or six more. But I have a feeling that at least all the ones' approaches I've just mentioned are a little unhelpful because they all are just a little bit too narrow in their own approach. Uh, For centuries, theologians have referred to something known as common grace. Uh, Now, common grace refers to the ability we, as humans, have to uncover truths about the world that God has made, regardless of our personal connection with Him. You don't need to be a Christian to understand more about God's creation, uh, about the workings of the solar system, or the life cycle of a mink whale, or the complex workings of a human's mind, heart, and behavior. For through God's common grace, he allows all humans to explore, to a degree, the world he has made. So as Christians, it seems foolish to discard modern research into the areas of mental health, for regardless of who has done the research, they can uncover some really helpful truths for us. But at the same time, this very research is starting to add a fourth dimension into its cognitive, emotional, behavioural categories, and that is the spiritual. As much as some modern researchers sought to resist it, the secular research is finding that it's hard to deny that humans are spiritual beings. We yearn for something bigger to make meaning. We are wired for connection. And so to explore mental health without allowing our Christian faith to set foundations and truths for us would also seem kind of foolish. What it allows to do, in fact, is something very powerful. It allows us to make the most of the research while keeping a healthy skepticism. A healthy skepticism that understands that the ultimate solution to the human condition is not a psychological mastery, but indeed a whole new creation. And Jesus is the only one who has the power to usher this in. It's in him we place our hope and our trust. And this invites us from within the mess to set our gaze on something outward, which can be incredibly helpful and healing in moments of darkness. In our first Bible passage today from Romans, we read these words. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. According to the Apostle Paul, our whole creation groans under the weight of a sense that things are not as they should be, uh, under the curse of sin. Even those who have the Spirit of God, Christians, groan inwardly as we eagerly await Jesus' return when he will make all things new. And this tells me that to suffer anxiety or shame or trauma or depression is part of the groaning that takes place in a broken creation. Sometimes these things are the direct result of things we have done. Sometimes they are the result of things that have been done to us. Sometimes they're just a complex, bizarre mix of both. It's often unhelpful for us to say to people facing these 
particular troubles uh, to just stop sinning and be happy. In Philippians, it does clearly say, do not be anxious about anything. So it's tempting to say to someone, overcome with anxiety, to just trust in God's word and stop being anxious. For a mild case of anxiety, the reassuring word that God is in control and that he is big enough and good enough to hold our burdens may be enough of an encouragement to help move us forward. And perhaps, and in fact, that's going to be the foundation of any real movement forward, I guess. But to someone else who is deeply, deeply anxious, to the point of it interfering with their everyday interaction with the world, just telling them to trust in God's word and stop being anxious is like finding someone in the middle of a pool who can't swim and shouting out for them to swim to the edge. And when they don't respond, you just shout louder, swim to the edge. And when they still don't respond, you kind of get aggressive in your command and just say, swim to the edge. What you've forgotten in all of this is they can't swim. So you can shout the command, but if you don't equip them to be able to do it, you are of little use. And for me, I've come to see our own self-awareness, our own willingness to address mental health and mental illness as part of our growing up as Christians. Growing up as a child of God or discipleship or maturing in your faith, whatever you want to call it, it involves many things. One of them, surely, is addressing what may be blocking you from responding fully to the words of Jesus. Let me explain. Quite often in church, you will hear us, you'll hear me talk of God's call for us to love others. It is one of the commands of Jesus. And we may give some specific practical examples to encourage you in this attitude to life. But for some of us, not all of us, but for some of us, at a particular time, this may not be possible. We could be stuck in a deep darkness of depression or owned by a substance abuse, or we are so deeply held in shame that we cannot act on that which we know is true. You can tell me to love others until the cows come home, but it's kind of like shouting at the non-swimmer to swim. I, I just... I will not be able to do this in any fullness until I first deal with the blockage. Working on my anxiety or my addiction or my depression becomes a form of discipleship if my goal is to grow up as a child of God and open new ways for me to love God and to love others and to value myself. All of us experience the brokenness of our world in different ways. And for some, mental health issues will never be a major experience for us. And that is something to be thankful for. But of course, you'll have your own groanings that will arise because of different interactions with a broken world. For others of us, we may experience difficulties around depression or anxiety, trauma, grief, substance abuse. As a Christian community, what we mustn't do 
is think that this makes us any less Christian or less spiritual or less worthy to be part of our church family. It can, in fact, over the long haul, be a beautiful ground for deep and real transformation. In most of the literature I've read on change and growth in mental health, one, one key component amongst many, uh, is hope. Hope is a belief that there is a brighter future, even if it cannot be experienced in the present. I love the words of the Apostle Paul in the opening of his letter to the Philippians. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Does being a Christian protect you from mental illness? No, it doesn't. We still groan. But it gives us a bigger picture in which to start addressing our mental health and helping others who find themselves struggling in different seasons of life. There is a promise from God that he is transforming us into the likeness of his son who was fully free to love God and love others. And the God who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion. And I'm yet to find a greater promise from a stronger power than that. We have another month to explore all of this in more detail, and, and we look forward to doing just that. Uh, but for now, let me leave us with three thoughts, very short thoughts, as we wrap up this introduction this week. The first one is this, real life is both beautiful and messy. Thus, we must be open to our faith journeys being the same. The more we are willing to share the beauty of God's hand in our life, as well as the mess we sometimes find ourselves in, the more our church family will grow in the likeness of Christ. Real life is both messy and beautiful. Secondly, God is present in our mess. While we often falsely isolate God to the mountaintops of human experience, the Bible presents a God who is actually more present in the valleys. He is a God who speaks words of affirmation into our existence. He is a God who knows the pain of isolation and despair. He is a God who provides real hope, and he is a God who has not given up on a single one of us. And nowhere do we see this more clearly in the person and the work of Jesus. God is present in our mess. And finally, number three, connecting to our God, ourselves, each other, and our world is the true meaning of life. 
And this is never a clean enterprise. I know we get sidetracked by the need for approval or the burden to be a success or some other thing. But as a human, it is your relational connection with your creator through faith in Jesus, with yourself, with others, and with the world around you. That really matters. It is true health or well-being or shalom or whatever you wish to call it. And here at the garrison, we seek this together because there kind of is no other way. Seeking lives transformed by following Jesus, uh, the one who promises to be able to lead us towards this sort of fullness. And so I hope that you'll continue to join us over these coming weeks and you can see what we're going to be exploring and uh, hopefully through this we will come not only to a greater understanding of ourselves and others but also to God himself as we see the kind of life that he calls us into. And so I want to pray for us now and um, our musos will be coming up too. We're going to just have a time of prayer, and then uh, we're going to sing together one last song um, just as we respond and reflect to God's good promise to us. But let me lead us now in a prayer. Our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we know, uh, each one of us in our own lives, that it's very easy to pretend uh, we know the pressure that is upon us, uh, sometimes in our workplace or our families or other situations, um, to have it all together. Uh, Lord, but we also know that there are seasons in our lives when things are not good, when things are difficult, when we are disconnected from you, from others, from ourselves. Uh, Lord, and we... Thank you that you are a God who is with us in all seasons. Uh, we thank you that you do not give up on us. We thank you that your promise is to finish what you have started in each one of us. And so, Lord, we ask that you might give us hearts and minds that trust in your good promises and that lead us towards your son, Jesus whether we find ourselves in the light or in the darkness. Help us to be a community that is open to these things and that wants to love each other as best we can. And we pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Amen.